When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 379. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where we help you experience healing, awakening, and abundance. In today's episode, we're going to talk about some really, really useful and informative topics, including how to think and react under pressure, how to navigate this global pandemic that we're going through, and how to transform your life by aligning with your authentic and true values. So if you'd like to explore some of these topics in your car or maybe at home, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button right now because it does something to the algorithm. I don't know what it is, but it does something. (laughs) And it allows people who would not normally come across our podcast to say, hey, I'd love to listen to this conversation. So hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to join our official Facebook group, the place where we have our discussions, share ideas, do some yogic breath work for healing, then go to my7chakras.com forward slash tribe my seven chakras.com forward slash tribe and with that being said let's bring on our special guest for today maggie craddock so maggie is an executive coach with over 20 years of experience working with clients at all levels of the professional spectrum best known for her work with fortune 500 ceos and senior management teams maggie has coached people at different levels of society and corporate and small businesses and, and, and you can imagine. In her upcoming book, Lifeboat, Maggie discusses lessons that we can all glean from survivors of the Titanic about how we grapple with unexpected change in our lives and careers today. And especially because we are going through this global pandemic and its implications on the market, on jobs, and our own health and well-being. I think that this interview is very, very timely. So make sure that you listen till the very end. And so, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. I'm AJ, thank ready you. Ready to inspire. <laughs> I am ready to inspire. <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, we always start with some inspiration, something that can get the flow going on. So, is there an inspirational quote on your mind right now? And how do you apply it in your life? I, one of the quotes that I found extremely inspirational is by Joseph Campbell. And it's a quote that says, the privilege of a lifetime is being what you are. And the reason I think that quote is so inspirational right now, AJ, is because we're all experiencing a tremendous amount of stress at all levels in our lives. But I also think that if we embrace the relational challenges that we're facing, it's giving us more and more of an opportunity to work and live in an authentic way. And I think that's precisely what Joseph Campbell meant by that quote. 
Absolutely. And it so happens that Joseph Campbell is one of my favorite authors as well. I love the work that he did for really understanding the deep abyss of the human mind. Mm -hmm. And it's true. The privilege of a lifetime is to really be who you truly are, authentically who you truly are. And I'm sure as I'm sharing this, people can feel a sigh of relief. <laughs> like a weight, weight off their shoulders because it's true. That's what everyone wants, everyone craves for at their soul level. But Maggie, let's start from the very beginning. Where were you born and brought up, and and how was your childhood like? I was raised in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I was raised in a military family as an only child. Uh, I was raised with a lot of respect for authority and a strict code of conduct when I was growing up. So as you can imagine, that's probably why I took a somewhat bohemian bent <laughs> as I evolved along the way. Um, I actually uh, went from there to, uh, to school in London. I went to the London School of Economics and I ended up on Wall Street as a portfolio manager for some time. And I realized along the way that ideas don't make things happen, AJ people make things happen, and that we've all got a wide range of skills, and that uh, how people operate under pressure on a trading floor, in their family systems, in every aspect of life, sometimes surprises them. Because the way that we operate when it's business as usual, when it's normal, and the way that we operate under pressure can be two very different things. And I think that realization led to all of the books that I've written and a lot of the work that I'm committed to doing with people as they manage their lives and careers under stress. Well, thanks a lot for sharing. Now, I have a few friends who do a lot of stock trading. Mm -hmm. And I can see them from time to time. Sometimes they're up and sometimes they're all the way down. <laughs> but you were on the trade floor. So was. what was life back then on the trade floor with all that energy, with all that stress and the ups and downs and the back and forths, like you said, working with multiple people? How was the experience like? I think it's humbling, but in many ways, and I hope your stock trading friends appreciate this, it's a shortcut to enlightenment in the following way. Because when you've got a lot of money on the line under time pressure, and you know you can't know everything, or the market's going to move away from you, you really learn to trust your instincts and trust your gut. You really learn that you can't think your way through certain challenges. You really have to align your thoughts, your feelings, and your experience, and sometimes take a little bit of a leap of faith, hopefully an experienced leap of faith. But that inner alignment is sometimes as important, if not more important, than your pure thought process. Because I think what many, what's really humbling for all of us is when we stop and take a step back, mm -hmm. we realize that so much of what we think sometimes is a narrative that we've created in our own minds, right, to justify whatever strong emotions we're feeling. And so trading floors, um, they require a lot of discipline because you're either underwater and you don't want to lose money or you've made money, but you don't take profits quickly enough, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. All that is going on. So, so I think there's a lot of training of instincts and really understanding. And some of the best traders I've worked with are people who are very committed to learning things like meditation, breath practice, mindfulness, because they realize they can make an airtight, uh, logical argument for things, but they still have to trust their gut under pressure. So even on the trade floor, people are incorporating mindfulness, meditation, breath work, because like you said, there are too many factors and you can't depend just on your mind itself. You got to take into consideration your instincts and your gut to make those decisions. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, now, in your book, you write that I realized that I needed to change my mindset and my job in order to align my career 
with my values. So what did you feel was missing at that point in your life? Well, you know, interestingly enough, um, it, it wasn't just managing assets. And I'll go back to your previous point, because traders certainly have a sense of humor. And many of them manage things through meditation, and some of them manage things through happy hour. <laughs> but I will, whatever the practice is, right? But I, I realized that one of the biggest challenges that I was going through as, as a young woman who was put in charge of a lot of responsibility with these funds uh, was not just managing the assets, it was managing the people. And um, as, as some people know, we, we had some great results. We got two Lipper Awards for top national performance. And that wasn't, I was very proud of the results of my team, but not just what we accomplished, how we did it. Our group from Scudder, Stevens and Clark has actually had reunions. We had what I call a Camelot experience. We loved working with each other. We were respectful of each other. But we really learned how to make that shift. I talk about a lot in my books of, you know, from thinking in terms of self-help to moving to what we call the us-help mindset. People respected each other. They trusted each other's strengths. Nobody felt like they had to go it alone. We operated in a very complimentary way. Mm -hmm. So you were in the group. There was a lot of us thinking versus, you know, just me thinking. And so, so what made you transition from that role into be, wanting to be an executive coach? You know, I was, um, I was going away to weekend retreats. And sometimes I would go away and just get a bed and breakfast by myself. A couple of times I actually went to religious retreats, not that I was conventionally religious, but I would go and meditate and people would be, you know, going through the motions of whatever they were doing in these different places. And I would really be thinking about how important the people aspect of things were. And we started to hire consultants. And this is before executive coaching was a thing. People were not really putting those two words together in the same sentence as much in the, 19, uh, in the 1980s, early 1990s. And, um, and I would sit and think about, you know, how we dealt with people and how incredibly important that was. And I just began to realize that my life calling was going to be a little bit of a transition. I think one thing that got me was I was uh, deposed a couple of times uh, in, in, you know, different situations to talk about how we were managing risk because we managed one of the first derivative portfolios uh, early in the game and we were moving into the ERISA space, which is the you know space where we have a lot of public funds. And, um, and we had to be very careful about how we did these things and people would ask me questions mm -hmm. and I could only answer the question that I was authorized to answer. So you had to ask me the question directly and I could answer it. And there were a couple of times people would ask me questions and I realized, wow, you know, I know what you want to know, but I can't, I can't tell you because you didn't know enough about what we do to ask the question the right way. And that's when I realized how much the human dimension and understanding, not just how we think and what we you know, do in words, but really getting underneath what we wish we could say and the deeper layers of meaning was to people. And so that helped me make that transition as well. Got it, got it. So, so then at, at, at a certain point, you made a shift. What uh, steps did you take to move toward your, your new career and your new life then? Oh, I got a little ribbing for this one, AJ. I, I actually went to social work school at New York okay. University. And I can remember some of the traders I worked with turning around and laughing at me and saying, oh, so you're going to be a social worker. And I was like, well, you know, you need one. <laughs> but but in, in actuality, I went to study what they call the biopsychosocial framework for how we make decisions at New York University. And then I went on to the Ackerman Institute for Couples and Family Therapy and worked with group dynamics there. And then went back and did, uh, did some, some work that was 
actually shown by CNN, some of my early work, and uh, really went back into financial services to help a lot of people not just understand the external things they were doing to apply to to respond to challenges, but how much the internal work they did Mm. on not just the decisions they were making, but having confidence in their decision-making process didn't just apply to how they were running their businesses or making investments in the market. It applied to their own evolution at the human level as leaders and things like motivating people and getting groups of people through difficult times. Wonderful, wonderful. So this is a very relevant topic now because it comes back to you writing a book. Uh, So what inspired you to write your book, Lifeboat, and why did you name it that way? Well, you know, I'm really glad that you asked for a quote because, you know, one of the reasons Joseph Campbell has always been important to me is that he did all that work uh, with Bill Moyers on the power of myth. Mm -hmm. And, And I believe in stories. And some of the stories I like the most are stories from history. They're real stories because stories help us take a step back. All of us, particularly hardworking people right now who are facing some of the same questions Titanic survivors were facing, right? How long will this last? How bad will this get? Who can I trust? How is this going to change me? You know, when we're under pressure, we're always dealing with this tension of the part of us that wants, you know, more self-awareness and the part of us that is just so stressed and our thinking has become so polarized that we become a little bit defensive and we just don't want to know, we prefer not to know about ourselves because it's just too overwhelming, right? right? But a great story helps us take that step back and realize and see things about ourselves or our circumstances at a human level mm-hmm. that we might not be able to. And what's so great about a real story like the Titanic is this isn't made up. These were real people. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a little girl, my mother took me to see a musical called The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Mm-hmm. And it's a musical that was made about lifeboat number six, which is one of the lifeboats we talk about in the book. And I became so fascinated by how the human dynamics changed with all those individuals from how they had been when they were on that big ship to how they related to one another on that lifeboat. Mm-hmm. that I literally went home to my dad's study. And as I'd mentioned, I grew up in a military family. He had you know, military histories and naval histories. And I began reading everything I could get my hands on to understand the real life stories behind all these people, not just the people on that lifeboat, and how a life and death situation can really make people confront questions like, you know, what am I doing with my life? What are my top priorities? And why aren't I living in a way that emphasizes those right now? So the part of of the story, which you've sort of alluded to, is so important Whenever somebody hears a story, especially in a TED talk, you sort of take a step back and you ease it up a bit, right? Because everyone loves to hear a good story. And when it's a, when it's a story, it's not so personal. You're not talking about yourself. You're free to objectively understand what was the situation, what exactly happened, what were the obstacles and what the result was, and then bring those results or those, that model of the story back into your life. Um, and so I love how a story allows us to digest the essence or that key takeaway in a much better way. Uh, so talk to us about the lifeboat process that you write about in your book. Maybe if you couldn't give us an overview of what it is. Sure. Well, you know, the lifeboat process takes people through some shifts that they make in their internal and external world to move from what I call the big ship mindset, which okay. was the mindset that was prevalent when the Titanic left port, right? Yeah to the lifeboat mindset, to explain the process. Let me explain these two lifeboat mindsets, these mindsets for your listeners. When we're operating from the big ship mindset, 
it doesn't really have anything to do with the size of a company or the size of an organization because there are multinational organizations around the world right now with senior management teams that are really striving to embody more of a lifeboat mindset. But it's really a mindset that's rooted in what's worked in the past, AJ. It's rooted in old norms. And so to understand what that that mindset stems from, I think it's helpful to bear in mind that the problems that took down the Titanic started before the ship ever even saw an iceberg or got its first iceberg warning. Mm. It started before the ship left port, right? When they were building it, they were cutting corners. They were minimizing safety precautions. As we know, they didn't have enough lifeboats, right? And when they took off, they're going through the icy waters of the Atlantic faster than they needed to because the whole thing was about impression management, right? It was about being larger than life. Yeah. So there's some norms that people who are operating from this mindset of taking what's worked in the past and stretching it to its optimistic extreme, Mm -hmm. there's some norms that impact our um, assumptions and the way that we interact at a human level from that. One of them is always play your part. Always keep your game face on, right? No matter what, you just focus, right? Even if uncomfortable feelings come up, let's, let's minimize those, let's suppress those and keep on our game face. Another one is stay busy. Right. Mm-hmm. We see this not just in our workplace, but sometimes in our family systems when we're juggling so many things to take care of other people. Just stay as busy as you can. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes because this is impression management, faster is better. Let's do it quickly. That conveys competence. Of course, I think we all realize that when you're moving too quickly, you can miss red flags or moments when you should course correct. That doesn't always work. So now we shift to what I refer to broad brush to explain this as the lifeboat mindset. And to get, just to get a feel for it, AJ, imagine that one moment you're on a giant ship that has been yeah. heralded as unsinkable, right? And the next moment, you're, you're in a tiny watercraft in the middle yes. of the Atlantic Ocean, huddled with people that you haven't met. Mm-hmm. And literally, your life is on the line. And the main thing about this mindset for your listeners is you're in a set of norms where you have more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. You simply don't know how things are going to unfold. And you're pretty tense, right? So the norms that come out of that, I write in the book, are very much, let's be present at a human level. Because we all know that people matter. But people matter in a very human way under pressure. This is not about transactional relationships. This is about real human contact, right? Mm -hmm. The other one is, it's about uh, really making sure that you're getting the feedback you need, right? to assess what's going on with you in the situation. And then, as you mentioned earlier, it's about aligning your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions in the present moment. And when I'm talking about aligning your feelings, I'm also talking about, we talk a lot about this in the book, teaching people to take strategic pauses. And I'm sure this is something a lot of your guests talk about. But I think one thing that comes out in Lifeboat that's very important is there's so many ways that we suppress feelings, train ourselves to dissociate, not know what we'd prefer not to know about ourselves. And even when we're making big decisions, like how to keep our family safe or what job we should take, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this book talks about taking the pauses you need to be able to tap into anxious feelings, to uncomfortable feelings, but not let them capsize you, right? And the, the ultimate lesson that we take from understanding these different ways of being is how we operate with other people in such a way that we can make this shift from the self-help mindset where we're really playing our part, but we're primarily focused on our individual security to the us-help mindset, where when we have this alignment, we're part of the greater good, we're in the present moment, and that's literally where we find 
our sense of purpose and our focus, and ultimately, I would say, AJ, even our happiness. Wonderful. So I love that you sort of uh, juxtaposed the lordship and the lifeboat. And we've all seen the movie where <laughs> in the beginning, it's all about you know, who's high in status, who's lower in status, who's richer, who's poorer, right. what, are, what are the norms. And, you know, the captain is, you know, very proud and he's going really quickly across, you know, to go towards America. And then when crisis hits, like it does, Mm-hmm. companies in, in personal lives, right? Everyone's crowded on a boat because they want to survive. And you're forced to have these conversations and these interactions with people who you may not have interacted with in the past. Why? Because we got to find a way to survive. And I love what you said. What has worked in the past may not work right now. And it's important to take a pause no matter who you are and really feel and process the emotions or the feelings or the thoughts that you're going through and not suppress them. One thing that you explore in your book is the importance of emotional agility, right? So what is your definition of emotional agility? Well, you know, we all, um, I think in this day and age, in our conversation, often talk about the importance of emotional intelligence. I know we talk about this when we're raising our kids, right? Mm -hmm. Emotional agility is how we take that self-awareness to the next level. And we actually really employ actions that reflect emotional agility when we're dealing with a wide range of personalities. So when we started the conversation, we were mentioning traders and how they need to prepare themselves for the fact that the market can do anything. I think when we're talking about emotional agility, it's it's very important <laughs> to stress with ourselves in the spirit of just being pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And we don't always know what we're going to do under pressure. We have our best set of intentions, but we can surprise ourselves, right? I'm often reminding people, if you don't think you know the full range of what you're capable of, just wait until you've lost an important document or maybe even an important client. And somebody thunders in and interrupts you at that precise moment, right? How do you react then? So sometimes we surprise ourselves. I have people call me up all the time and say, Maggie, I can't believe I did that. I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's just rebalance and get right back on track. But emotional agility is helping you understand that your power style under pressure or the things that trigger you emotionally mm-hmm. really dip into your history. We talk a lot about clarifying this in the book. We talk about what we call the inner iceberg, AJ, which is, you know, you see your behavior on the top, but there's a whole lot of things beneath the surface. And we talk about how you explore, how the values, the definition of success, even what you believe about your own potential in terms of your family system or how you've been conditioned to respond to conflict can be part of that iceberg that you're unaware of, right? Right. Everybody's got a slightly different one. And so when I talk about emotional agility, I'm talking about things like, let's not just focus on your feelings and expressing yourself and how you're coming across. Let's be mindful of how other people feel about themselves after they've been in your presence, right? You know, when people have been around you and they walk away, are they feeling supported or a little subtly challenged? What's going on with that? And when we cultivate emotional agility, we're back in that human moment. We're present, Mm -hmm. according to the lifeboat mindset. And we're really watching the nuances of how things are unfolding at a different level. It's so important when people are managing remotely because people will say to me, Maggie, what makes people feel like they belong in our organization? I'm like, it can be different things for different people. It's never one size fits all. Leaders will say, why do people follow me? Different people, different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be present and appreciate those nuances. So emotional agility gets you present and helps you stay centered Mm -hmm. when you're tripwired or triggered in a different way and brings you back to a discipline of giving other people the benefit of the doubt. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is so important and useful because you said that when we respond, there are so many factors that might go into play, right? Our upbringing, some of the emotions and traumas that we've had from the past that might trigger us. But for a moment, if we forget about ourselves and we notice what's happening in the other person's body language and and what they're saying and, and just remain centered and focus on them versus us, it's going to be a different experience. It's so. a totally different experience. And sometimes it takes you, sometimes you need to slow down to speed up, right? That's true. Yeah. People will say, well, I, you know, I have to have this important conversation and convince this person of something. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it may take more than one conversation. You That's may true. need to give them room, right? They may not be ready because we're all having a conversation with ourselves all the time, right? So if you try to force the point in one mm-hmm. conversation, when you need to give the person a little bit more time, mm-hmm. Actually achieving your objective may happen more swiftly if you're a little bit more patient. Yeah, but because when we go into these conversations and we have this sense of urgency and wanting to get to a conclusion, the other person can sense it, right? Right. Whether it's a conversation or a negotiation, they can sense the tension and they might stall it or say, let's talk some other day. But like you've suggested, if you're like really patient, energetic, patient, and we don't have a sense of urgency, it's, it could take on a new direction. Wonderful. Uh, now, the other thing I wanted to mention is in the midst of what's happening right now, from the conversations that I'm having, a lot of people are in this phase where they want to, you know, really think about their career and understand if it truly fulfills them. And right. if that's the direction that they want to go in, similar to the direction that you chose earlier on in your career. Because Tony Robbins also once said that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So what do you think is a formula for fulfillment or is there a formula at all? I, and I'll say this to all of your listeners, because I know that for many of us, this is one of the most challenging periods we've ever been through in our history, economically, potentially with our families, you know, concern about our kids. It's just there all over the place, right? That's true. But in the midst of all of this, I I also really believe that this is a time that can be extraordinary for people in terms of their professional direction. Because just as you were mentioning with the Tony Robbins quote, right? Many of us uh, don't have the option of selling out right now. Those ways that we would sell out for security just aren't there. And we go back to why I wrote Lifeboat. And you were giving me such a gracious introduction, the, the, the work with board members and Fortune 500 CEOs and all of this. As you can imagine, the psychological drivers of some of the nuances with people at that level of seniority can be worth millions to their organizations if they get them right. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons I wrote Lifeboat is that I don't always have the opportunity to reach as wide an audience in terms of how these same conversations we have with ourselves impact our career choices. And I think there's great opportunity for people right now, because when you are authentically aligned in terms of 
really listening to yourself, not about what someone else thinks you should do for a career, not about what you went into because one of your parents encouraged you or one of your friends wanted you to start a business with them, but genuinely being passionate about your own thoughts and desires. Mm -hmm. That lines you up with that inner alignment we're talking about, about your thoughts, feelings, and intentions under pressure. Mm -hmm. When people are authentically aligned on their career path, AJ, not one single thing that's happened to them in their life is an accident. Not the way they responded to a bad breakup in, in high school. Not their favorite hobby. Not their communication skills. You find that you have a whole layer of secondary skills you've had your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk about with this alignment is we, we try to make sure that people, when they're course correcting for extraordinary change and disruption, aren't losing sight of their long-term career goals, aren't losing sight of their long-term talents, right? So you may have, you may not be able to stay employed in the job that you were trained in or the, yeah. the role you're in right now. Although I can certainly go through the, the the set of checks and balances we go through as to whether you should leave or stay, because we address this in the, in the book as well. But even if you can't, let's start thinking about who you know and your skill set in ways that you can branch out and diversify in terms of your career exploration. Just like on a trading floor, you would diversify your assets, right? Yeah, yeah. So you start thinking about those other skills you have that are transitive that could help people in your industry from different different angles, problem-solving skills, mediation skills, knowledge of regulatory requirements, the people you know, right, and how they can give you feedback, not just about what you're doing, but whether or not you're being true to yourself under pressure in the process. And then I think ultimately, uh, it's a way of helping people look at, is this the time to go for that life dream? Mm -hmm. To write the great American novel they've always been trying to write, to, to, to start that thing they've always dreamed of starting. And I, I mention to people all the time with that, possibly, but let's make sure that this is a dream that was with you before the crisis struck. This is the novel that's already been in your desk drawer. You actually wrote for your high school yearbook, right? So writing has been a thing for a while mm -hmm. because we always want to make sure that our energy is being motivated by what we're genuinely attracted to mm -hmm. as opposed to what we're trying to run away from, right? So for someone listening to this episode right now, these are some, this is some great advice. Uh, if you find yourself in a situation like this, it's a good opportunity to take note of some of the yearnings that you've had maybe as a kid in terms of what you want to do growing up. Um, take note of your skills, especially transferable skills that you can use in that other vocation or job. And uh, I love the part where you said, you know, take note of people that you might be connected to that can help you, you know, get that opportunity or get some advice. Uh, but most importantly, don't forget what your long-term vision is. What comes to my mind is you might have lost this battle, but the war is still being... Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. You, you know, you don't lose until you give up. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And uh, one of the things I loved... Uh, that you wrote about in your book is uh, once the Titanic slipped beneath the ocean, the power structure or hierarchy of command was less important than interpersonal influence. Rank did not matter. Personal authority won out over sanctioned authority and informal leadership was respected over official titles. Now, I found that very intriguing because, you know, the entire corporate space and our, our work culture is changing slightly. So how does somebody maybe who's an entrepreneur, small business owner, somebody who is a new employee or maybe a seasoned employee, how does that person go about honing their informal leadership 
skills or well, maybe if they don't have a job at the moment. So how do they go about it? What a marvelous, what a marvelous question, AJ. You know, um, it, this takes me back to, and I, I mentioned a couple of lifeboats in the book, but this mentioned, takes me back to that lifeboat number six story that we referred to earlier, right? And on lifeboat number six, um, you had, you know, three gentlemen on the boat. You had uh, Arthur Puchin, Robert Hitchens, who was put in charge of the boat, who'd had a yeah. traumatic experience on the big ship itself and was still a little shaken from that. And you had the lookout, Frederick Fleet, who was a little bit more junior. And then you had literally everyone else on the boat, like over 40 people, all women, right? Yeah. Um, and many of them were from first class. And all of them were too weak physically to actually row the oars through the icy waters of the Atlantic. Yeah. And so Robert Hitchens, who was put formally in command, right, mm-hmm. was was literally saying we're doomed. He was operating yeah. from the old handbook, right? Yeah. And as we know, when the unknown strikes, the answer isn't in the employee handbook. So he's like, we're all doomed. We're going down. We can't just, no, don't even bother trying. He's literally coming undone there, right? Mm-hmm. So all these women are kind of watching this power struggle. And Margaret Brown, who was a woman in first class, who was actually only on the Titanic to get to the bedside of her seriously ill grandson. She was a, a grandmother, right? She gets on this boat, and you can just imagine how terrifying this was. And then she starts embodying this lifeboat, this us help approach. Mm-hmm. And she begins noticing first at a human level that the people around her are cold mm-hmm. and scared. Yeah. And so because she's from first class, like many of these women, they got on the lifeboat with furs on and everything. She starts putting clothing on people who need it. Then she yeah. starts listening to the different conversations going on around her. Some of the women from first class are used to having things smoothed over for them. And they're beginning to panic because things are not going smoothly. And she sort of eases them into conversation because she's a little bit more of their social set and starts unifying the whole group across class lines. And then I think most inspirationally and strategically, in terms of any entrepreneurs or small business owners listening, it's in this process that she's in the present that she has like a great idea. Mm-hmm. She realizes that individually they're not going to make it with these oars, but if she organizes them two to an oar, not only are they going to be able to move the boat, that rhythm is going to keep them warm so they survive the night, and it's also creating a spirit of unity. And then in the midst of all this, she develops yet another strength or facet of a power style that I have to believe was not necessarily innate to her day-to-day operating, because consider the era. She's a female. She's a civilian. Mm -hmm. At one point, Robert Hitchens tries to stop her, Mm -hmm. and this one literally stands up in this commanding tone, and tells this naval officer, if he does not stop with the pessimism, they, and at this point she is not in any formal structure, they are going to throw him overboard. And at that moment, she summons such a wave of unity in that group that every other person, including Arthur Puchin and Frederick Fleet, back her. Mm -hmm. And by the time they get through this horrendous experience and the light comes up the next day and they see these giant icebergs around them and they get rescued, all these people are, call, are, are saying that Margaret Brown is really the force that pulled them through. But this isn't a woman who thought her way through this thing. Okay. She, she didn't think her way to greatness. She aligned those thoughts and feelings and actions and greatness found her. Yeah, that's a, that's a really wonderful story because it's very apt today because right now I think the entire world is very divisive, right? Mm-hmm. Masks versus no masks, this versus that, right? So many opinions. And with the amplification of social media, it gets even more. Mm-hmm. And so people find themselves in these high-pressure, high-stakes situations, whether it's at the boardroom or maybe it's at home, or maybe it's in their community. 
where they want to be this problem solver. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the example that you shared, uh, how should they go about navigating through this? Because firstly, they don't have an official title. Secondly, all their focus might be on them. Thirdly, there might be people who are against them and they need to win them over. So I love the story that you shared, but what are some things that somebody could keep in mind the next time they find themselves in such a crisis situation? Because it's very hard to think on your feet, right? But maybe if you have some perspective, it might help. Well, I, I, and I think it's this coming back to, to balance, right? Because, you know, you were, you were asking, uh, as a writer, you were asking for a quote. And of course, we talked about Joseph Campbell. But, you know, another one of my favorites, and I was going back and forth with this when we started the broadcast, is, you know, William James, right? One of the things he said is one of the deepest principles of human nature mm-hmm. is the craving to be appreciated, right? So always in the present moment, you try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And this gives you the agility to not only put into perspective what they're trying to put into words or even the emotional passion of their delivery, but what is going on in their life path that has brought them to that point of view in that moment. And this emotional agility is literally what gives us the power to negotiate conflict, AJ, in a way that fortifies our personal integrity rather than diminishing it. And sometimes it's as simple as when we're, when we're um, really pulled into our own narratives and our own stories or triggered by whatever's going on with our emotional iceberg. Maybe we don't feel appreciated. Maybe we get I'm very frustrated if we feel people aren't listening to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe we lose patience if things aren't going our way swiftly under pressure. We have that sense of urgency and we feel like we know best. Whatever's going on, I remind people when they start getting those emotional triggers, let's remember that if it's hysterical, it's historical, okay? If something's kicking up in you that's creating an undue sense of urgency, I can guarantee you it's tapping into something that happened in your early family system and you need to take a minute. (laughs) Take a pause, right? And realize that these other things are coming at you, even if let's take an extreme situation that many people are encountering with bosses, people who have power over them that are impatient at this time and scapegoating them. We have so many examples, not of Titanic survivors in the book Lifeboat, but of actual people who have learned these same lessons that get in the crosshairs of a superior. And rather than trying to enter the fray at that level of contentious emotion, they learn over time to have a more empowered dialogue with themselves and sit in that alignment And they literally can shift the energy of an entire room without shaming anyone, taking anyone down. They can sit and and, and respond in in very mature ways, not be a target, get the situation back on track. And literally, whether they're in a webinar or anything else, they see the pilot light of hope come back in the light of everyone else that's really concerned that a very, you know, um, off the chart uh, bully or someone who's emotionally erasing them is going to take them off target. And they can manage from below. Mm-hmm. Become that informal leader and keep the entire thing on track. So along the same lines, and I love that you that you shared this, but you know, initially we spoke about some people who have lost their jobs, unfortunately, and they're having to rethink their career. Mm-hmm. There are some who have kept their jobs, but now their jobs are completely different <laughs> because they're working from home. They're working longer hours. Oh, absolutely. And there's no differentiation between work and home. So work is home, home is work. And so what advice do you have for this person who is maybe stuck in their job, emotionally and spiritually being drained by their office dynamics that has changed? I mean, maybe this person does not like their job and wants to change, 
but how do they think through this? <laughs> you know. Well, well, let, let's go to stuck, and we're not at the point of changing yet, and then stuck and going to the point of changing. Okay. okay? okay. So for, for those of us who feel like uh, working from home has challenged our ability to set the mm-hmm. boundaries we need at yeah. a human level for self-care, right? Yeah. We just can't stop, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a, a real discipline here. And I think it's a simple one, but I think it needs to be adhered to. You know, some of the simplest things we need to do, we just yeah. need to do. Like, um, I'm sure that so many people talk about this idea of listen, uh, of meditating. Well, you know, 10 minutes a day, just, just do it, right? Just 10 minutes a day, right? Let's try. But let's talk about how these things get extremely difficult. At the beginning of one's day, whatever we're doing professionally or whatever we're hoping to do professionally if we're out of work, Okay, at the beginning of one's day, a small measure of time to focus on something positive and connect with the self, I think is an absolutely mandatory practice. Okay, now, now my husband and I are fortunate because we get to take a a couple of minutes together every morning sort of for meditative affirmation together. We do that and we reinforce that with each other every day. And we're we're fortunate because we get to shelter in place. But whatever your situation, um, Read a quote from an author that you find inspirational. Take just a moment and center yourself to look for the good in the course of your day. Simple as that, in yourself and in others. Then your day starts, right? And this can be no more than five to 10 minutes, AJ. Then your day starts. Mm-hmm. Then I tell people all the time, it's, it's vital that you understand how important other people are to you. Because there's some things in life that we cannot do alone. This goes from the self-help mindset to the us-help mindset. A lot of us like to think, I can handle it on my own. I don't need help. Well, one of the things we talk about in Lifeboat is you cannot row a lifeboat through the icy waters of the Atlantic alone. And sometimes you can't realize things you'd prefer not to know about yourself or get the perspective you need to center yourself without feedback from someone that you feel is emotionally honest enough to tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so even in our business lives and perhaps especially in our business lives, AJ, we need to invest in a couple of people, two, three, that are an accountability list that we can call that will be candid with us. So maybe they're not people we work with or at least not in our same department because you don't want somebody who has a vested interest in the outcome of what you do. People who come from a different power style than you do. We've talked about this a little bit on the call, all the different power styles and how they morph under pressure. So if you tend to be a people pleaser, find someone who's a little more direct. Or if you tend to lose your temper easily under pressure, find someone who's a good strategic listener and get some perspective. So that you, if something goes wrong, you can make a quick call and get someone to talk you down. And then at the end of your day, it is absolutely vital to shut down the computer turn off the devices and remember to connect humanly with yourself and with others. And you may get pressure from superiors or colleagues or whatever, or difficult emails in the beginning when you start doing this. But if you stick with it, people will respect you and your time more. And I think what's most vital in this process, AJ, is you'll respect yourself, right? Mm. That's what's going on. Now, if you're at the situation where you feel like, look, this is not a healthy environment. And one of the things we go through in Lifeboat is we assess what's going on in the big ship versus the lifeboat. And we really help people have confidence in their decision-making process about whether or not they should stay at a job or leave and what these criteria are. But I always tell people, here are the big three. If your physical health is actually under pressure, like you're, you're having heart palpitations or, or there's something going on that your, your physical health is at risk, you need to make an exit. 
If your mental health is at risk, literally you feel that you're going to you know, be depressed or have some kind of issue that's ongoing, then you need to make a change. Also, if your relationship with the key people that are significant to you in your personal life is being compromised because of your work, you need to think about making a shift. With the exception of those things, though, I have often found, and people who do the lifeboat work will realize this, that oftentimes the person we need to change is ourselves. We need to have more emotional resilience. We need to have more compassion. We need to have more patience. And we need to examine these triggers so that we're not thrown as hard emotionally when somebody responds to us in a way that we, in our own narrative, do not find to be ideal. So before you leave a job, make sure that you've done your internal work first, because if you don't, the next job you take, you will recreate the same emotional challenge and the same emotional dynamic eventually in a new situation with new people, and you're going to be confronted with that lesson again, because we always recreate this narrative that starts in our family system that we're trying to evolve through until we internalize that lesson. So some great tips over here. I love what you shared. Firstly, have like a, a daily practice, maybe in the morning where you do it and you recenter yourself and maybe feel grateful or maybe do something that really relaxes and calms your mind so that, you know, you keep looking back to these experiences. And number two, what I like you mentioned was have these two to three people that you can reach out to for some feedback or advice. So, my question is, how do you go about structuring these relationships? Because they're not, they not friends exactly, right? Would, they, would you consider them mentors? And then how, do you, how would you engage or set up this sort of informal relationship where you, where you tell them that you'll you know, just reach out to them maybe once or twice in a month? Is that how it works? Well, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. I've had many people say to me, uh, this, this is a common question I get, AJ. Yeah. Many people say, you know... Maggie, this is awkward for me. Now, some people I mentioned the importance of getting, I mean, we literally call it lifeboat feedback. And in the book, we go through a whole series of questions you could ask people, such as, you know, do when I'm describing somebody, do I sound like I'm being objective and fair about them? And if not, why not? You know, could they be reminding me of someone from my past? Or things like, do I sound like I'm being uh, clear with myself about my motives? And if not, why not? Or am I being emotionally honest or their feelings I'm suppressing? Now, for many of your listeners, this may be a layup. You're like, oh, I already have two best friends on my speed dial. Talk to them all the time, That's right? Yeah. No problem, okay? Yeah. But for many people, particularly the ones who've worked so hard and been perfectionists and given so much of their energy to their jobs that they're like, you know, I'll do it. I'll do whatever role you want. And they've literally minimized non-transactional relationships in their attempt to add financial value for their families and value for their organizations. This becomes a stumper, <laughs> except for the fact that Many of them are parts of networking organizations. Sometimes they're professional networking organizations, right, for whatever uh, industry you're in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're uh, networking organizations or networks such as your listeners here. And there are ways for people that are part of these networks. They're either social media networks or professional networks or even community networks. They kind of look around and trust their gut about people that they think they respect intellectually, but also in terms of their personal integrity and their character. And they could bounce this thing off. And, they, and one of the questions I get is, look, Maggie, um, this, I feel a little vulnerable. I mean, my identity in life has been having that game face on, right? Yeah. Looking like I've got it all handled. I'm not sure how I'm going to approach somebody about this. But here is what I hear even more often, AJ. 
I will get senior executives who've agreed to mentor people who are coming up in their careers or some CEOs or C-suite people who volunteered to mentor others that are learning these leadership skills, volunteer to do lifeboat feedback for people who aren't even in their own organizations. They'll call me up and they'll say, Maggie, I just spent about the amount of time that you and I are going to spend in today's broadcast, AJ. I just spent like an hour and a half or about a little over an hour with somebody. And we did this lifeboat feedback. And in the end, they were like, wow, thank you so much for your time. And my response is, no, thank you. Because whenever you engage in a conversation with another person, where the idea is not to give unsolicited advice or one up by mentioning you notice something they should have seen, but really just to be present Mm -hmm. and ask questions to make sure that that person is being true to themselves under pressure and achieving this inner alignment. It's the listener that gets as much value from that conversation as the person who solicited it. It it creates a teaching tone that liberates us all. And it's that tone of presence that we want to expand in our relationships and ultimately in the cultures and organizations we create where we're present and we're noticing the value in other people. So it's about that tone we set, not just about any advice we give. So that is also really interesting because it's not just you draining value from them, but them also having a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship where right. the mentor and the mentee, both of them are drawing value from this beautiful exchange. So, And it can be a bit uncomfortable, but I guess Action Tribe, you got to just push past your comfort zone, reach out. You might get a no, but you might get a yes as well. Uh, so Maggie, my next question is, I meet a lot of employees are people who are working at, you know, organizations and, you know, what if this is a situation where a company or a small business is saying one thing on their website, but is not really demonstrating it in their operational policies. And, you know, the employees might be thinking, what's the use of sharing my thoughts or filling in this survey? There's no way I can influence the company policy because I'm just one person, right? But this is so stifling. What am I going to do? Around that? Well, I, I think one has to be balanced in these things. One has to be realistic in the present moment. Now, the best companies I've seen right. have, um, I think, anonymous portals for feedback. Okay. And I think that this is where doing this lifeboat feedback prior to uh, offering your perspective on a situation in formal feedback is, is very important. Now, here's one thing as we come through this pandemic and all this political unrest and all these changes that we're going to have a temporary opportunity to have some progress on. Uh, when we could hurdle through the Atlantic rapidly, and it was all impression management, um, mm-hmm. people were able to get away with cutting a lot of corners. One of them was to operate in a way that their stated values and the actual actions they took were not in alignment. Okay. Mm, And we've seen a lot of that and it's incredibly demotivational. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, uh, a lot of resources are wasted. Money is wasted. Time is wasted. Technology is wasted. But what's critically wasted is when you look at different power styles of different people, and we do consider different power styles when we're talking about lifeboat and some of the work that supported it. Mm-hmm. The first people that leave organizations when they notice that the values of senior management, the actions aren't aligned, are often the best people. True. Because they're the people who can. They're the people who aren't just going to follow whoever is in power no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. They're very independent thinkers and they think to themselves, quite rightly, hmm, 
Well, my sense of possibilities and my abundance in life, right, is based on operating in a place that reinforces my core values because I kind of get it that the group energy of wherever I'm spending the main years of my life and career are eventually going to impact my sense of self, yeah. uh, my possibilities in life, what I'm able to envision, my sense of personal integrity. And you know, at some point, it's going to creep home as well. It's not like even when we're working from home, but we're connected with this workplace energy of whoever we're supporting, it's not like we can power our computer down and leave this sense of urgency or perhaps these skewed values behind. Mm-hmm. They normalize what's going on, how we operate with our loved ones, the values that seep in that our children see us display, yeah. right? What we rationalize, what we do. So the best of people, the bravest of people are usually the first off, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to your, uh, your previous question and connecting these points, you know, how we take these scary risks of asking for this feedback or saying things. I tell people all the time, you can have a good career if you're smart. You will only have a great career if you're brave. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it takes real courage, not only to get to the exact nature of how we're feeling and how we really think about these values, but to do it in such a way that we're coming from that inner alignment where we're not overreacting or underreacting to it when we respond. And you're seeing some great examples in the media today of how people do it beautifully and how they just completely don't. Right. But, but we're all getting a lot of examples as we watch this play out. So it's always best to be diplomatic, right? So if let's say that you've got a CEO or a senior executive that's really communicating poorly, right? Then you can just say, listen, you know, I understand the complexities of operating in a senior executive level. I'm sure that I can't know a lot of things that you're privy to. But what I believe that our organization's stated mission is, is the following, right? Can you help me understand how this particular course of action is supporting this? Because what you put in our mission statement over here is this way, right? So that was my understanding of this. Is this an exception to that rule? And if so, why? But you want to maintain some sense of decorum and diplomacy and centeredness so that the person has an explanation. Because your ultimate goal is not to make someone wrong. Yep. Your ultimate goal is to make the enterprise work better. Right? Or to leave it if it can. In a healthy way. So be diplomatic, be objective. I love how you were not very personal in that interaction. You're like, here's here's what the mission states. I might be misinterpreting it. Please help me understand my thought process. Well, because some, sometimes there, there are things we don't know. Yeah, and oftentimes true. at a very human level, even the people that are pushed into leadership positions that we like to think would know better or operate better may be running on fumes. It's not their best day. Yeah. They may be scared. They may be exhausted. They may be however they are. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to demoralize them or operate in a disrespectful way any more than we would want to do that with our own kids. We want to address the problem in a way that doesn't diminish our personal integrity as we're addressing yeah. it, right? Or theirs, really. Because what good does that do? We want to improve it, or we want to find a situation that we can improve. So there you go, Action Tribe. I think this is also some great advice if you're listening right now or maybe watching, you know, before quitting the Titanic, before jumping (laughs) into the lifeboat, it's a good opportunity to lean in as a team, as a culture, as a company, and identify what is our long-term vision and see if we can 
patch the board, so to speak, so that the Titanic can, you know. So many times, so many times with, you know, leadership from below or that informal leadership that you were referring to before, AJ, people that are managing up effectively Mm -hmm. can take a leader and make make their leader more effective, more functional, right? Operate in a a more effective way and, and turn that boat. And in this type of environment, if you don't have to jump ship, it may be easier not to. Mm-hmm. If you do need to jump ship and you're doing it for the right reasons after you've done your own work, I guarantee that the way that you explain that situation in your next interview is going to be a strong selling point. So it all comes back to stories, right? Like A lot of it. Understanding and, and, what your narrative is. And, well, yeah. and that, that's our final, you know, the, the book Lifeboat itself really takes people through all these questions the Titanic survivors went through that we go yeah. through in the business world today, like, is this ship safe? And the final one, AJ, is what will be my story? And for leaders today and for people thinking about their careers, we're go- all going to ask ourselves, when we look back on what you and I know right now, AJ, is a historic period of change in the world. Mm-hmm. Leaders are going to say, what was my leadership legacy? How did I operate going through this period? How did people talk about me as a leader? What was their experience of me? And all of us, when we look at our careers and how we manage our families and our lives, are going to ask ourselves, how did I prioritize? How did I maintain that balance? What was my legacy? on behalf of who I am as a human being, how I evolved and how I supported the causes and the people important to me as I went through this time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good opportunity to, um, you know, just celebrate yourself also sometimes, right? Everyone who's listening right now, if you're still alive, you've done really well for yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Whether you're a healthcare worker, frontline worker, or maybe if you've lost a job, you're still resilient. And the next job is just a step away, right? So it's important, like you mentioned, is to maintain your emotions, check in with your network, um, ask the right questions, uh, and and then you know be ready for opportunities. But not only that, understand what your values are, which is my next question. How does a person go about starting the process of identifying what their true core values are. I know it might sound simple, but from your perspective, how does somebody start the process so that they can work towards uh, you know, nurturing or creating a fulfilling career? I, I think that that you know, really takes us back to that Joseph Campbell uh, comment that we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. because you're going to internalize some values from your family system. Some of them may be better than others, okay? But a lot of our conditioned responses and the things that we've learned to value, the role of money and how it plays uh, a part in our career decisions, um, how we handle conflict, a lot of this comes from things we've internalized in in our family system. Is the value in being the dominant person or is the value in being a peacemaker? Now, then we have to move from that to our authentic sense of what our values are, what we choose, not what we've been exposed to, but what we authentically choose Mm -hmm. is the genuine values that make our life worth living, that we want to embody as we navigate our own lives and careers. And the best one I found for that is to look at real life stories, biographies, even, you know, when we think of Joseph Campbell, I know that when he was dealing with different people, a lot of his work was the inspiration for Star Wars. Remember Star Wars with Luke Skywalker and that final, stay on target, stay on target. You look at the stories that touch you emotionally Mm -hmm. and you really get in touch with that felt sense of what moves you. What are the stories for many? I've worked with leaders in the military, with spiritual leaders, with educators, with entrepreneurs coming up with different ideas, with traders who've told me about traders who've inspired them. We've all got people 
whose actions and, and, and contribution on the world stage has inspired mm-hmm. them. So let's get in touch with the things that really move you emotionally in terms of historic figures, in terms of important stories, and then try to get underneath those feelings to actually be able to not, not give it just a blanket surface word like, wow, that's great, or yeah. wow, that inspires me, but get into the exact nature of your words, your descriptors of your emotional reaction to figures from history, to important people in stories, and you will start to put together a short list of words, almost like keys on a piano chord, that become semantically aligned with the values that are important to you and hang on to them. And then when you're seeing things uh, play out in the business world, or you're seeing things play out in your community or even in your family system, you will be able from a genuine sense of inner alignment to say, you know, one of the things that I always value is emotional honesty under pressure. Or one of the things I always value is courageous humility, right? That, that's really important. And you will be able to say that in such a way that people realize you're not, it's not just something you're saying from impression management. You're saying it from a felt sense of knowing. That, there's power in that. So there you go, Action Tribe. That's some good next steps that we can work on. Uh, and I think it's really, really uh, actionable as well. So whether it's a biography or a movie that you really enjoy for some reason, or maybe some kind of story that really speaks to you, uh, take it out a journal and write down why you love that movie or that story or that biography. And more specifically, what are the values that that person, that, that character was demonstrating that speak to you? Because like uh, Maggie said, it's not just about you know, making yourself look good, but it's about really feeling and sensing and knowing that these are truly your values. And I think that will help you find the ideal role in a company or maybe start your own business as well because you know what you truly resonate with. Now, Maggie, I did some uh, journaling over the past couple of months and I discovered in terms of myself, what I truly value is firstly community mm-hmm. as is bringing people together and making them feel like they're part of something larger than themselves. Second is uh, travel. I really want to travel and see the world and have some amazing conversations and meet people. And third is expression. So creative expression, storytelling, whether it's through podcasts or the visual medium videos. uh, I feel that when you allow people to express their stories, it helps them get liberated and heal in a certain way. And that's what I'm committed to doing more of. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. That's really wonderful. And, and I also think, you know, particularly as a writer, um, it's so important for people to take a little time to journal if they're able to, to do that. Because I think when we journal, AJ, we, we, we bring up a conversation with ourselves that's a lot less edited yep. than the way we speak to other people. Because there's always that little voice going, I wonder how I'm coming across. How do I sound? All this. But when you're journaling, sometimes you can just really let it rip. Yeah. And and I'm always telling people when I'm working with them, whether I'm asking them to write a letter to their future selves and mail it or a letter to their past selves and thank them, right? You know, whatever it is. Um, when you journal, I think one of the most valuable parts of it is to go back, save those journals and go back. Mm-hmm. Five days later, five months later, sometimes five years later. Mm-hmm. And look at where you were and your thought process. Because when you look at your past self, when you look at the way that you have described your circumstances emotionally and interpersonally, you know, after you've, you know, gone through what happened next, 
it gives you a real lens on how your thoughts and your feelings and your intentions do play out and thread through each other when you're facing important decisions. Shows you that narrative you create. Oh yeah, I think that's a powerful exercise. Sometimes I avoid going through my old journals like five, <laughs> eight years back. It just shows how much I've changed in terms of my thoughts and my goals. Some of my goals I've already achieved. Me as a person, uh, like you've sort of alluded to, but it's fascinating. And it's just a reminder that if you face that problem back then, there's a good chance that you've already overcome overcame that. And if you're alive, then you're already winning. So, uh, you know, loads of great insights and tips for today's session. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's session so far. I know that many of you have been going through really difficult and uncertain uh, unexpected circumstances and high pressure situations. Maybe you've lost your job or your relationship broke up or you didn't receive the money that you, you were expecting from a client. And because the entire globe is right now having to face the consequence of this pandemic, there's a sense of overwhelm and anxiety everywhere. In such a moment of crisis and pressure, the decisions that you take, the things that you say, and how you react can actually determine how things turn out ultimately, like we're finding out in today's episode. But whether this moment uh, is for you to rise or fall, remember the words of Nelson Mandela, who once said, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. So even if you've fallen down, just rub your shoulders, rub the dirt off your shoulders and stand up because you're powerful. So uh, we now move on to the last round for today, which is the wisdom round. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So Maggie, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received I got early in my career when I was networking for my first job on Wall Street. And it was when a gentleman told me, never forget that ideas don't make things happen. People make things happen. You can have the best idea in the world and it doesn't matter if you can't get the support of other people to actualize it. That taught me a lot about how important emotions are, how important human beings are. And as I watched it play out in the course of my career, AJ, it taught me a lot about the extreme lengths people will go to avoid feelings they'd prefer not to feel or create a narrative that justifies their reactions. Very profound. If you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who's living or dead, who would it be? If I could turn back time and spend an hour uh, with somebody, I would be with Mother Teresa. Uh, because I think Mother Teresa was one of the most inspirational uh, people when it came to real courage and actually leadership at a senior level. And she was someone who was a, quite a thinker, uh, really called to do what she did. Uh, and I think even, you know, didn't didn't buy into the hype and celebrity of, uh, you know, world attention at some points was always very uh, candid with herself in the present moment about the value she was adding and the character she was embodying with every step she took. And I think you've shared some already, but what is it one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you sleep that has really improved the quality of your life? Well, well, for me, a lot of my life, you know, you were talking about like some of your uh, things that you do that you feel are going to be important for you going forward. And I would say that my practices reflect my priorities. And many of them are relational. 
You know, uh, we go back to the first thing you asked me at the beginning of the broadcast, you know, growing up in a military family, uh, a lot of transition, right? A lot of fitting in. And it's, it's very important to me to be able to provide some of the validation for people in my life and even for clients I work with uh, that I know isn't always, people aren't always able to, able to get under ideal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband is my best friend. He's my partner in, in everything that I do. And so we work together as a united front. We, we try to validate what's good in our lives. We try to validate our children and our grandchildren and validate, you know, everyone that we're able to touch. So we will really set our intentions and, you know, have a meditative moment to, to, to have the willingness to look for what is good in the course of our day. Um, and then at the end of our day, we never, ever uh, let a day go by without going through what we call our gratitude list. Um, which really, even in the midst of the pandemic, it's just made strengthened this practice for us. And we started it, of course, years ago. And that is in the course of every day, we try to identify at least three things that happen in that day that we're grateful for. And AJ is usually the little ones. Mm-hmm. It's usually going out and taking a walk first thing in the morning and seeing the sun come up or hearing the birds or just having a moment to be present with each other or maybe a note from a friend or something like this. It's usually the very human, small moments. But yeah, gratitude. They say feeling is a secret. And when you're grateful, your feeling shifts and that allows you to actually attract even more magical moments into your life. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it one book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today? One book that I would like uh, for people to consider is a book that's called Small is Beautiful. It's by Schumacher. I I believe it it won a Nobel Prize at one point. It was written a long time ago. And it was about a a gentleman who, again, from a different uh, time period, much like the Titanic, but I feel like there's so many timeless human lessons, was talking about the fact that that it's not always the big things. Mm -hmm. It's the small businesses, the small organizations, or the people that even if we know them through social media, Media, the people in our immediate networks that we communicate and share things with at a human level that make all the difference in the way that we have a, a more empowered relationship with ourselves, which of course is the key to charting our own course professionally and not having it dictated by outside forces, right? Yep. Which is the key to something we've talked about in this broadcast, which is you know the things like negotiating conflict in a way that fortifies your personal integrity rather than diminishing it. And it's central to reminding us to align ourselves or, or actually be change agents so that we can take part in organizations that reinforce our core values because doesn't that leverage what we stand for in our lives and careers? It's the small things that matter the most. And it's true. It is. Um, the small things ultimately compound over a daily basis, weekly basis, and they make a huge difference in our lives. Oh, here's a great, here's a great yeah. quote, because you and I both love quotes, right? I believe yeah. it was Gandhi that said this, and someone may correct me, but he said, um, it doesn't matter what we do in life, but it's absolutely vital that we do it, right? It's that emotional energy, that shift in brain chemistry that comes from those moments of contact. Absolutely. Got it. And by the way, is your book available on Audible yet? I, I believe that it is. Uh, the official launch date for this book is August the 4th. Uh, people that pre-order uh, get some uh, special things that we're giving to people who like pre-order it on uh, Amazon or through uh, other booksellers prior to August 4th. So they'll also get you know some videos I've done on strategic pauses that help with some of these practices we've been discussing today, as well as some executive summaries and things that will help them with the key lessons in the book. And it is also available on, on um, Audible 
which is, uh, and I read it myself. I really enjoyed reading the audiobook. And I am a consumer of books, just a voracious consumer of books. And I often enjoy the audiobook because when I hear the author talk about it, I get their inflection and their, t- their timing too. So, yeah. So Action Tribe, if you would like to expand on today's discussion, because obviously we did not have that much time, then make sure that you get Maggie's new book, Pre-order it because that's what I I remember I double checked on Audible. Your book is available on pre-order on Audible. But the beauty is, Action Tribe, that if you're a listener of My 7 Chakras, then you can get this book for free. Because Audible <laughs> is giving all our listeners one free audio book with a free 30-day trial. It's the best thing. Finish this podcast and go to my 7 forward slash free book. My 7 forward slash free book and just search for life book. Pre-order oh. it. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, they're going to get so much for free if they do that. <laughs> exactly. The workbook and, and you've shared so many more things in your book. I know because I, I have your book with me, the digital copy, but it's stories, anecdotes, uh, the case studies that you articulate in your book based on people that you've supported and helped. And yeah, it just goes so much more deeper. And I think in the midst of what we're going through right now and the, you know, upheaval or the renewal, depending on how you look at it, uh, I think what you share is very important and priceless. So make sure, Action Tribe, get the book, uh, Lifeport, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book and make sure you check it out. Uh, So Maggie, before you go, tell us one thing that you are grateful for and how can we find you online? You know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this discussion because when I'm thinking about your listeners, I I want everybody to realize when they're out there dealing with these really extraordinary challenges, we need you. We need you to tap into your inner strength. We need you to find your authentic passion. We need you to find that alignment. There's absolutely none of us that are here by accident. Nobody shows up in the world. Nobody shows up online and nobody shows up on a lifeboat by accident. So we really need you to tap into those uh, authentic passions and find your your genuine course. And so many of us have an opportunity to hit reset and take those steps so that we're going to be able to do that. People can find me uh, under Maggie Craddock on LinkedIn. They can find me on my website, workplacerelationships.com. Uh, they can find me on and, at Maggie Craddock at Twitter. So I am, de- and I'm delighted people can get this for free because if you're feeling a little uncertain and walking around the block, Listen to it. It'll give you something constructive you can do to keep your own career and your life moving forward. Wonderful. Are you uh, available on Instagram as well? By any I am available on Instagram. I am available on Facebook. So I am absolutely delighted. I'm available on all portals. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, when people have uh, had an opportunity to look at the material and have questions about it, I do everything I can to get back to as many as possible, AJ. Cool. That's amazing. So Action Tribe, if you are on Instagram, then take a screenshot. Just take a screenshot on your phone <laughs> of this episode and tag me so that I can share your story with our community. My handle is at my7chakras. That's at my7chakras. And make sure you tag Maggie as well so that we can share it with our respective communities. And as next steps, if you'd like to discover how to raise your own vibrations, start feeling much better, go to my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. That's my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. But Maggie, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode and talking to us about the importance and the power of emotional resiliency. And not just that, but taking inspired action as a result of your newfound state of being. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.